yeah, so I started building my body with raw food and, and yeah, and I felt, felt amazing. And, you know, when I was kind of going through that journey, I started more be becoming more interested in tonic herbs and Chinese, Japanese traditional herbs and Ayurvedic herbs and things like that. And I used to like import all these like herbs because you can't find it anywhere. Um, and I just thought it would be amazing to be able to offer this meal and drinks and all these amazing herbs to people who are in Melbourne. And as I said, because, you know, not having a support system or not having a community around was like one of the, the most challenging things. So it would be amazing to have this community. So I built this Shokuriku for me, really. <laughs> Hello, veggie mates. I hope you're all well. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Veg Talk podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Davey, and this week I'll be chatting with an amazing woman by the name of Yoko Inoue. I have to thank a friend of the podcast, Eliza Strock, for recommending Yoko as a guest. Anna and I really enjoyed meeting Yoko, seeing her beautiful restaurant in Northcote, which is just north of Melbourne, and sharing one of the most enjoyable conversations I've had on this podcast. If you are traveling to Melbourne, and would like to check out the restaurant. The food is all raw, organic, and plant-based, and the name is Shoku Iku. I highly recommend you guys checking it out if you get the opportunity. Now for this week's update. It's been an interesting last few months for veganism, with high-profile YouTubers deciding to go back to eating animal products. People are certainly becoming worried about what their follower bases and subscriber bases will think, and do as a result of their admissions, and I can understand that worry. However, after the last week's show, I think the best way forward is really seeing this as an opportunity to tune into our own experience more than ever before. Rather than copying what other people are trying, it is time we research and make wiser decisions by ourselves. In this week's episode, Yoko also speaks about knowing your why and how important that is from a business point of view. I don't think it's much different with veganism. If we each know exactly why we're doing this, then I don't see any YouTuber, radio host, or actor, uh, their change in diet decision, swaying my own or yours. More than happy to discuss this topic with you all, so please feel free to reach out to me at VegTalk on Instagram. That's V-E-D-G-E-T-A-L-K. Now let's shift our focus to the most important part of the show, our incredible guest. Yoko grew up in Japan and at the age of just 15 years old moved to New Zealand on her own. She learned English and also started to cook more in her new home country as she had more time outside of school compared to when she was living in Japan. Between cooking her first lamb roast in New Zealand and now, her life has taken many twists and turns. She has experienced major career change, the birth of her daughter, Layla, a health scare, switching to a mainly raw diet and opening a successful restaurant in an extremely competitive city. I have to send a huge thank you to Yoko because you're about to hear more of her story than she usually is willing to share. As always, your feedback is welcome. If you do have the time to leave a review and rating on iTunes, that would be greatly appreciated, guys. I hope you enjoy today's conversation and I'll see you all at the end for a quick wrap up. Okay, we're rolling Yay. today for 
the third podcast in Australia, which I'm stoked about. We're in the suburb of Northcote, which is not far out of the city. And we're here today at Shoku Iku, which is a beautiful raw organic restaurant uh, in Northcote with the owner, Yoko, Yoko Inoue. Inoue? Inoue, yeah, perfect. And yeah, thanks very much for, for meeting me and, oh, and coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're really happy to have you on. And um, yeah, you've had a really amazing story. Journey to Australia, originally from Japan. I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, where you grew up in Japan, what it was like, what, you know, what you were eating on the table, what, you know, family traditions you might have had. I don't know. I'll let you roll with it. But I, I'm very intrigued to, to hear about it. Okay, so um, I lived in Japan for, I suppose, 15 years. I left Japan when I was 15. But I suppose I grew up in kind of normal, normal household. Um, but my dad never liked going out to eat. So my mum was one always like making food and we never kind of got takeaways and things like that. So a lot of traditional foods, a lot of stews, rice, miso soup, you know, all that stuff. And a lot of fish as well. You know, fish is a, a, a huge part of Japanese diet. Um, yeah, and... And I think when I was like pretty small, when I was a baby, I was a bit of like extrovert, you know. I loved performing and I loved doing, like loved standing up, um, just talking about uh, stupid things. <laughs> but then as I got older, I kind of started to become more introvert. Like I just wanted to blend in. And my mum was like, oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't want you to be like that. I didn't want you to be like one of those like Japanese people who just couldn't say what, you know, what they wanted to say. Um, and I think she was a bit getting a bit disappointed in the fact that I couldn't really stand up for myself anymore. Um, and the school system in Japan is pretty strict and pretty like hardcore. Um, I even had to sit in the exam to get into a kindergarten. Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty. I mean, I went to a pretty kind of high up school as well. So we had an exam to get into a kindergarten, exam to get into primary school and high school, and everyone went to cram school after school. So we used to like start the school about seven o'clock in the morning. It was a time that the kids went to school six days a week. Um, and then we had like the clubs or something after school. So we finished about five o'clock and then we have dinner maybe in the car and then just go to cram school um, straight after. And we finished cram school about 10 o'clock at night. We go home and do um, homework for school. So we just like full on. Um, and one day um, I was studying for an exam upstairs and I came down, my parents were watching this uh, TV, um, the documentary about America's Cup, like in New Zealand, you mm -hmm. know, that yacht, yeah. And I said something like, oh, I wish I could just go there, just escape from, you know, everything. And my mum was like, yeah, let's just look into that. <laughs> yeah, and then she kind of started finding out and we met this guy who was from New Zealand, living in you know, our hometown, and he organised all the visa and schools and stuff for me, and, and I left Japan when I was 15. Okay. Yeah. That's a big move. Yeah, for 15, I don't... 
Yeah, I suppose I didn't want to sit any more exams. I think that was my like huge motivation to just run away, but I didn't realize that I didn't really speak English. <laughs> so when I got there, I think it was, yeah, it was pretty hard to um, make, fr- I can making friends at 15. I mean, at 15, you don't really, it's, it's hard as this to be yourself, you know, trying to find yourself and stuff, but if you don't have that support around, you know, it's it's extra hard. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So when you were in Japan and, you know, you're doing these long days, were you were you happy to kind of, you know, do as you're told and or were you trying to rebel against this at all? How was it? Cuz I imagine that's a that's a big workload on a on a young person. Yeah, I wasn't rebelling, but I wasn't happy. I had a really good, I had good friends, a group of friends, and so I did like going to school, but I wasn't really into studying. <laughs> um, but I just didn't know any other way, really. Everyone did it, so I was doing it too, you know. Yeah. Did you, as a you know young girl, not eating out a lot, were you yourself, were you in the kitchen at all helping out? Or was there just no time for that? No time. No? No, like I didn't, I probably didn't do any cooking till I went to New Zealand. So I was staying in, you know, different homestays, different, you know, local families. So that's when, that's where I suppose I learned all the cookings. Yeah. I think first thing that I've cooked was like lamb roast on Sunday. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like pretty Aussie, Kiwi yeah, yeah, kind of, you know, tra- mm. traditional food for, for this part of the world. Um, moving to New Zealand, was this something you did on your own or did your parents come with you? No, it was, uh, I was by myself then. Okay. Yeah. So I went to um, like English school for about nine months and then started high school. How quickly did you pick up English? Um, <laughs> because I was a bit younger um it was hard though i i didn't make any japanese friends that was like the thing that um i try not to do i didn't speak any japanese uh, japanese at all when i was in new zealand even when i was watching a movie uh, okay i remember going I remember going to going back to Japan for a holiday or something and watching a movie, even covered a subtitle so I didn't see the Japanese subtitle. I'm kind of zero or hundred kind of person. <laughs> I'm quite extreme. So maybe kind of that kind of helped to like be um, in the, I suppose, English environment. But yeah, it was hard like, because you don't speak any like English and you still have to go to like classes and you know do homework and assignments and stuff so yeah so I suppose outside of school and, and learning English were there any hobbies that you were starting to um, to get into in New Zealand because I mean it's a huge change in in culture mm. um, I think from going from this very you know, uh, regimented schooling life to, mm. I imagine the Kiwis are a little bit more laid back than, yeah. um, you know, than the Japanese that um, you grew up with. So was there more time for hobbies, more time for kind of getting into to stuff outside of school? 
Yeah, and one thing that um, I kind of got into was cooking then. And the food there is just so different from, you know, what I used to have. So I think I gained about 10 kilos in like <laughs> three months. Because yeah. you just go to like a supermarket and you can get this like huge tub of ice cream for like $2 or something. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so and then I started kind of helping out, you know, in homestays and, you know, things like that. So, yeah, definitely cooking. But my first, I suppose, passion was to become uh, like a makeup artist. So that was my, you know, my uh, previous career. Okay. So how far, how far did you get into that? Did you, you know, really, yeah. Yeah. So after high school, um, I went to like a makeup school for one year and I did like some beauty therapy classes and stuff like that. And yeah, I did fashion, advertisement and, in 2000, I came to New- came to Melbourne. That was because I wanted to have more opportunities, I suppose. You know, bigger place, you yep. know, more jobs. Yeah. But I did music videos and fashion. I did pretty well, actually. But, yeah, things change. You kind of grow up and, you know, be a bit different person. Decided to change it up, go for a different, um, you know, a different career. Yeah. So I got pregnant with uh, Layla. Um, and it, I suppose it changed everything. I wanted to kind of eat healthy and, yeah, healthy for myself and for her. And, like, just doing makeup. And because I was working in advertisement, it sounded a bit, sh- you know, it looked, it was, I felt like it was so shallow. Like, it was no depth. I wasn't really helping people. Like, it didn't really align with what I started believing in. And around that time, I was becoming more interested in, you know, plant-based or like more sustainable kind of living, wellness. So it just didn't, you know, it didn't feel right anymore. Mm. Yeah, I can... Did did living in New Zealand um, have anything to do with, you know, aligning yourself more with sustainability or, or living in Australia? Well, that was like... I don't know, 20, 25 years ago. So there's not much of that movement happening in New Zealand or Melbourne, I don't think. Yeah, so... So how did you come come about this um, kind of new ethic or or way of living? Mm. So I think wanting to be healthy was the first thing. And then I went to a sustainable festival um, at Federation Square in Melbourne. So that was about 12, 13 years ago um, when Peter Singer was talking to you. I know, yeah, Yeah. Animal Liberation, yep. Yeah, yeah, and he has a book called Ethics of Eating, I think. And it actually just, like, changed my life, really. Um, The way he was speaking about, you know, the welfare of animals and sustainability and things like that. And, yeah, that just um, blew me away. So I was interested in plant-based kind of foods, like not eating as much as, as much meat, but it was more of a health reason. So then I started listening to Peter Singer and other people and it just made sense to be, you know, more conscious about everything that you do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's an amazing man. He is. He's done some, um, yeah, some much-needed work definitely before this movement Mm. has started to gain Mm. traction um yeah i definitely i look up to those people that 
have been dedicated to, you know, it, whether it be plant-based foods or, you know, reversing heart disease or animal liberation for decades mm. and they didn't stop regardless of the backlash and, the, mm. um, you know, the, the pressure against them. Yeah. They, no. they kept going. Yeah, and I love the fact that he was not like emotionally too attached. I think he was just stating different facts, and yeah, I I kind of like I resonated with that. Definitely. A lot. Mm. So, one thing I'm interested in is moving from Japan to New Zealand to Australia. How did your own nutrition kind of change in that time? So you mentioned like a lamb roast. Did it carry on from there? Were you eating like a I don't know a standard Australian diet or a, a standard New Zealand diet at that point yeah so when I went to New Zealand I just got a bit like excited about you know like really tasty a lot of fat a lot of like animal foods so I kind of did that for like four years or so and as I said like gained weight I didn't really feel clean like I feel a bit sluggish so I started like doing exercise and stuff like that and but it was more for like losing weight you know nothing yep. else um and then started looking into more like healthier way of eating but at those times like healthy eating was more of like low fat you know like low fat dairy and like <laughs> low fat cheese and all that stuff so I kind of you know did a little bit of that um so I was not really eating kind of Japanese way really and then when I was more interested in um, plant-based and healthy eating I kind of came across uh, macrobiotic and that's I suppose how I started looking at food in a different way so macrobiotic it's um, it's not so much of a diet it is but it's a philosophy of eating and they you know we talk a lot about energy of food you know, yang and yang and warming food and cooling foods and how different foods have different vibrations and different energy to it and I found it really fascinating and it is uh, more kind of Japanese traditional Japanese kind of based foods like a lot of brown rice seaweed miso soup you know pickles fermented foods um, things like that so I, um, I suppose I loved it I did it um, quite strictly for about two three years or so very cool yeah. was there so having you know getting pregnant and getting more interested in whole food plant-based and then moving into um, macrobiotic um, what I suppose was there any other um, you know reasons for for going into that or um, also what kind of information we, was available at that time because it's very uh, information is so easily uh, kind of obtain now we mm. can just go onto Netflix and find a documentary or mm. we can go on Amazon and get a book um, but you know not that long ago mm. this movement wasn't as strong and uh, the information wasn't as readily available so no. how did you kind of go about sourcing this yeah so I'm not that old so <laughs> <laughs> there was such a thing as internet <laughs> so I think I did a lot of that and um, yeah, but definitely it's not as um, easy as, you know, it is now. And 
I suppose I felt really isolated, and that was like one of the reason that reasons that I wanted to open this shokuriku place. Um, um, yeah, so internet, really, and reading a lot of books. Um, yeah, and I got a bit, I got sick. I um, was diagnosed with uh, ovarian cancer. Um, I don't really talk about it too much because I didn't really want. Um, I didn't want to promote, um, like, no, I don't want to tell people don't go to the doctors, don't, you know, do chemo and things like that. And this, like, natural way of healing doesn't um, apply or doesn't help every single people. So I'm quite careful, you know, with who I talk to and, you know, what I say. Um, but, yeah, so I think this macrobiotic and like juicing and coffee enema and like all different um, protocols that really helped me. So I do, personally, I do believe in this, you know, amazing wellness kind of information, yeah. Wow, and was that, was that around the time of getting pregnant with your daughter? No, she was about three, okay. four, yeah. So that was, I can imagine that's a, a big shock to the system. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was. And it really kind of gets you back to, you know, what, you know, realise what's really important. You know, your health is the most important thing. I wanted to live to see, you know, my daughter grow up. And I was kind of going through a really hard time with with, uh, my daughter's father because he didn't really believe in what I was doing and he thought I was selfish. (laughs) Um, so that was, I think it was like one of the most challenging times of my life, you know, like the health and just insecurities and you don't really know what you're doing is right or wrong and you had no support system and um, all that stuff. But, you know, kind yeah, of go no, through it, yeah. Wow. Well, that that is amazing. I'm, you know, thankful that you, you know, were able to share that with us. So. Mm. Um, I appreciate that a lot. So coming to Melbourne and, you know, I suppose getting into the the macrobiotic scene and more organic um, raw foods, Mm. what was the, I suppose, the inspiration behind Shoku Iku? Yeah, so macrobiotic, uh, just to go back to that, it's more of like cooked food. Got it. So usually like 60 to 80% of um, diet is grain, Mm -hmm. usually either quinoa or buckwheat or brown rice. Um, And I studied holistic nutrition. So and I had to do like a thesis on, you know, raw food and that Mm -hmm. kind of opened the door to this, you know, world of raw food. Um, Because even though it was quite different way of eating from what I was eating in macrobiotic diet, um, when I started eating like raw food, it gave me so much energy, and that was after my the cancer scare was cleared. So I like personally, I believe that macrobiotic was uh, was an amazing way to detox my body, and I lost a lot of weight and it kind of cleared. But it was a time that I need to start building my body, and raw food was like perfect for me. So I started eating more fruits and nuts and seeds because. Macrobiotic, there's not so much fat. It's like maybe like 5% fat or something, mm-hmm. or maybe less. Yeah, so I started building my body with raw food and 
yeah and I felt felt amazing and you know when I was kind of going through that journey I started more becoming more interested in tonic herbs and Chinese Japanese traditional herbs and Ayurvedic herbs and things like that and I used to like import all these like herbs because you can't find it anywhere Um, And I just thought it would be amazing to be able to offer this meal and drinks and all these amazing herbs to people who are in Melbourne. And as I said, because, you know, not having a support system or not having a community around was like one of the the most challenging things. So it would be amazing to have this community. So I built this Shokuiku for me, really. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Very cool. So has it always been in this space? Is this, yeah. yep. Yeah. So you've been here now, is it five, yeah, six? Yeah, coming up to six now. That's really mm-hmm. cool. So how has the Melbourne community responded to this? I can imagine yeah. they're, you know, yeah, they're so receptive. Be- before I opened, I had a bit of following. From, I was blogging as well. Um, so when I opened, I think those people kind of came to support, which was nice and kind of got me started. And I didn't have a staff, I didn't have a dishwasher, <laughs> <laughs> and I was homeschooling my child. And then, so a poor girl, like we used to ride a bicycle from home to here, and and um, you know we did serving, we did making food, we did like washing, everything and we didn't get out till like 9 o'clock 10 o'clock and we used to ride home like at 10 <laughs> o'clock yeah, so Leila does not come here anymore <laughs> <She hates laughs> <it> here. <laughs> um, yeah um, and, but at that time I suppose people weren't really open to like medicinal mushrooms and tonic herbs and you know, things like that, but a lot of people are interested in plant-based food, organic, definitely. And we've got this amazing organic store across the road, Terra Madre. So I think we had a lot of clients, um, yeah, from there as well. So cool. What are what are some of the importances of organic food versus maybe conventionally grown food? Mm. Oh, definitely, you know, it's not pesticides and chemicals growing, um, you know, when, when you're growing the vegetables and fruits, that's important. Um, and also environmentally, you know, it's much cleaner and it's more ethical because you're supporting these small farmers who believe in the same thing as you. Um, so safety of the food is a big thing as well for me, but, you know, just supporting those farmers um, and producers, um, that's important for me as well. Um, but also I do love, you know, like wild foods, which might not have the, the stamp of organic certification, but these wild foods are so, has so much vitality and, you know, you can even pick your dandelion leaves from the garden and that's that's amazing for you. So I think as natural and as like old fashioned as possible, yeah, I think that's the way to go. Mm. It's interesting that you bring up the, the dandelion leaves because mm. I, th- I was listening to a podcast, I think it was Rich Roll yeah. with Zach Bush. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah. I and um, he said some, when this, you know, this roundup thing mm. oh, starts God. to hit the shelves yeah. and they start advertising. Mm. And he said he has this like clear memory of this guy with like two holsters as if he had like a, you know, like a gun, but it's round <laughs> up. And he gets out into his driveway 
and he sprays the dandelion leaves. And he says, isn't it ironic that the, the plant that he is spraying is, you know, a cancer fighter, but he's spraying it with this water-soluble <laughs> chemical that yeah. is basically ruining our environment. Mm. So, yeah, interesting that you bring up dandelion leaves as one of those wild foods that you can kind of just pick in your, in your backyard or yeah. wherever it might be. Yeah, that's because nature knows the best. You know, it comes out in the springtime and that's when you, look out, you have to look after your liver. You know, and dandelion is amazing for your liver. You know, and the nettle, those like stingy nettles, it comes out in winter and it's really high in iron and, you know, all these nutrients. That's when you really need iron, you know. Um, yeah, so just follow the nature, really. What can you do with something like a, a stinging nettle? Mm. How, how can you consume that? Yeah, um, if you're a beginner. <laughs> I'm a beginner. <laughs> um, you can cook it in soups and stuff like that and it becomes like quite kind of sweet like really good grains in soup if you're advanced and you know how to roll the leaves i usually just chew it in that in the mouth but you have to be really careful with these <laughs> things yeah cool cool yeah no yeah. that's fascinating and you can do like juicing i mean juicing is kind of easy way to you know include all these like um, you know, high nutrients, green, greens, because a lot of people do complain about raw food, how, you know, how, you know, it, it's quite hard to digest, especially if you, your digestive system is not working as much as well. Um, but yeah, juicing, putting into smoothies and things like that, that's just, yeah, that's, that's great. Easy way to, to include into more include raw it, foods, for yeah. sure, for sure. What are some of the common misconceptions that you feel from, you know, people that are interested about um, adopting a raw food diet. Yeah, I think that's that, like, um, it's hard to digest. Um, but for those people, you do have to kind of look into why you're not digesting these raw foods. And I do believe that if, you're, if your body's working, you know, really well, and if you've got the fire in the stomach, because the, the Chinese believes that your digestive system should be dry and hot, you know, so you should be able to like digest or cook food in your stomach. But, you know, like in these days, modern people, they have this digestion of like cold, sluggish, really damp because of those processed foods and processed sugar and things like that. So you have to kind of check your digestion first. Um, yeah, and then and then just supposed to start eating more blended soup or smoothies or something like that. And that's, yeah, it's easier for the body. And also it's too cooling i think and that's true as well and if you've got um quite cold um cold body type and you're always cold even in the summer then raw food might not be good for you so i don't say that raw like 100 percent raw food is better for everyone i don't say that i do believe that you should have some percentage of you know raw food but that how much you have is just depends on you know how active you are or how young you are how cold how warm how you know um yeah it is very interesting for example anna here gets cold any time of year mm. and me i'm like a <laughs> furnace so <laughs> yeah. it is an interesting kind of dynamic that we've noticed between each other mm. Mm. um and i haven't met a whole lot of people that you know consume a wholly raw um, 
diet, but I have a, a friend of ours uh, in America. Uh, her name is Mimi. And I, I think she, I remember her telling me that she, she gave it a go and she experienced, um, you know, I, I think she said like cold kind of like extremities. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I like that it's, you know, potentially not for all body types all body or all types. people or yeah. all climates. Mm-hmm. Um, but to include it, you know, raw f- fruits and vegetables are a, a key part of having a, a healthy diet. Yeah. So, I mean, I do believe in raw food because of the enzymes. You know, when you start exposing food to light and heat and, you know, things like that, and you, you, you kill all the enzymes. So that's why I think everyone should have a bit of raw food in the diet. It can be even fermented vegetables. That's raw or that's even better. It's living food. That's the difference between raw food and living food, right? Like sprouts and fermented food and that's living. It's, it might be might being cooked already, like natto or, you know, miso or things like that, but it's fermented. It's like full of like life in that food. So you can even include that and give that enzymes, you know, while you're eating other food. Um, but I do not, because I eat, I suppose, mainly raw. Um, but in winter, I do, I might get a bit cold, but I do a lot of tonic teas to kind of supplement. So there are some herbs to um, dry and um, heat up my digestion, like poria and white atractyloids and astragalus and things like that. So I do a lot of tonic teas. Um, and spices like warming spices like ginger yeah black pepper you know that sort of thing will work as well chili you know but chili is is an interesting one because it can be warming to the body like if it's a small amount but when you start having it like a large amount it's actually cooling because you know you start sweating and things Mm. like that and you yeah so the food is really interesting that's 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 like what macrobiotic talks about a lot you know is it more food from a medicinal point of view? Food is medicine? Is it that ideology? Yeah, yeah. And they do talk about like a yin and a yang, I think I've mentioned. Yep. Like, so if you want to go into that, because I found it really interesting. For sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm super fascinated. Um, so animal foods is like extreme yang. Like, so yang is more like ex- expansive energy, like more fluid, more feminine, like more soft. Um, and... M- Young energy is more like, uh, you know, contracted, kind of aggressive, more muscular energy. So if you eat meat, they believe, so everything is energy, so you're including that, like, aggressive muscular energy into your body. Um, But if you're eating more fruit, which is really yang, you might have more kind of expansive kind of energy. Um, in, in macrobiotic, we kind of or try to kind of live life uh, neutral, you know, so you, they don't really promote extreme yang or extreme yang energy. So a lot of, uh, that's why they promote a lot of like brown rice and grain and things like that. But I do believe that because we are living in this quite aggressive, like young society, you know, everyone's go, go, go all the time. So I think it's important to include more yang, you know, more, so more vegetables, more, you know, fruits, you know, things like that. 
And some people say, I'll oh, say, oh, so why don't we just like have meat and become really young? But why don't we just have like a lot of like sugar <laughs> and to kind of balance it out? But it doesn't work like that. It's like seesaw. So if you have this like extreme young and it's like going up and down, up and down, and of course your body start breaking down, you know? And but it just, it's quite fascinating how, okay, so like if you're, like if you're really, um, if you're tired, you know, coming back from work or something, and you've got this like contracted energy of like real, like young energy, and what you want to eat is like either a piece of cake, which is yen, <laughs> or you want to have a glass of wine, which is yen as well. So your body is like, without you knowing, kind of trying to balance your body out. But if you just stop being really in tune with your body and then you start having like one glass and then a two glasses of wine, or three glasses of wine, and you just become more extremely yen, then you don't want to do anything, you're not motivated. And then you like start having like salted nuts and like all this meat again, you know, and then just becomes extreme. So I think what's really important is that to know that everything you do, everything you consume has an impact on your body as well as, you know, the environment and people around you and animals around you. Um, so you can be conscious and make that, you know, conscious decision around what you eat and what you do, you know. Yeah, that's super fascinating. We were just mm. talking today about consuming you know, more fruits and vegetables, more raw fruits and vegetables, more whole food, plant-based kind of diet, how it um, almost feels like it has a calming effect. Mm. Um, I totally believe that. So switching, yeah, and if, if you had been talking to me, you know, four years ago or three and a half years mm. ago, I don't think we'd be having, you know, the, the same type of conversation. Yeah, it's a bit woo-woo, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I can... Kind of, but also to an extent logical mm. to me now. I, mm. don't, I don't know, but like consuming um, something that you just mentioned as more aggressive. So I now see it as like if, I'm con if I was to be consuming an animal product, what did that animal go, to, what, uh, go through? What did that animal experience mm. before it ended up on my plate? Mm. I then consume that energy and... I didn't really put those things together mm. a, a while back. Mm. But now looking back, I was, you know, kind of anxious and aggressive. Uh, shifting my diet has definitely changed my demeanor. Mm. Um, so, I'm fa uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in it. Whether it's woo-woo or not, <laughs> I don't really care. I think it's, it's yeah. a fascinating topic. Yeah, it, I don't know. To me, it just feels right. And it makes sense, don't you think? Like, of course, what you eat, you know, it's got all the vitamins and minerals and stuff, and it, it becomes um, part of you. And, of course, it will control your gut and controls your brain, controls, you know, everything. Yeah. Definitely. Do you get a lot of questions about... You know, we were talking about iron before with like stinging nettles or mm. um, do you get a lot of questions about, you know, oh, but how do you get your calcium or how do you get your iron? You know, these minerals that come from the ground mm. and plants come from the ground. How, you know, do you, firstly, do you get a lot of those questions? And then if, if you do get a lot of those questions, how do you go about explaining 
you know how you how you derive those uh, those minerals yeah I think the most important thing is just to check that your digestion is working well because even if you're consuming so much iron if you're not absorbing it then it doesn't really matter so even for people who are eating like a mainstream diet or in you know, the meat or whatever um, it doesn't mean that you know that iron is going to be absorbed in the body anyway so what you need to do is to utilize the iron or calcium or whatever you you know you're eating, so that even the little even that little bit is going to be utilized 100% or close to 100%. Um, and you just need to I suppose uh, research what you know what sort of iron uh, like what what food will you know supply um, these minerals and vitamins that you're looking for really. Cool. Yeah, yeah I mean it's all it's out there. We can now. Google, yeah, all the Google the makeup of um, you know something like spinach, or you can un- you can yeah. quickly understand um, you know how that how that plant is made up and, and mm. what it delivers the body. But it absorb absorption is a very interesting topic that um, I don't think I've spoken about it a lot on the podcast, um, and probably haven't listened to a a whole lot of information. But we mm. did hear last night uh, a little bit on a on a documentary about absorption Mm. and how some um for uh, the example i'll give you was to absorb iron having you know good vitamin c levels helps to absorb Mm. absorb that are there any other instances where you know being being strong in something like vitamin c can help to absorb something else like uh, is there any other examples that you can give us i i, yeah, I don't really know no? um but i think you know just making the foods more bioavailable bio mm-hmm. so even if you're having spinach you know for iron something like that and why don't can you just eat it and then just absorb it or can you blend it and absorb it better or juice it and absorb it better so easier for the body to digest and absorb these nutrients the better right so if you know that your body doesn't you know doesn't work as much then juicing blending you know putting into smoothies i think that's that's um that's like wiser smarter way to you know eat food did you experiment yourself with how um certain foods made you feel and yeah um especially with herbs maybe like i love experimenting with like with different herbs and i usually do that on my empty stomach so you know your body is clean you can feel it more so just getting back to like a medicinal mushroom and things like that and i I love i love reishi so i did five day water fast a while back and the first thing that i wanted to do was just to try reishi and just meditate (laughs) you know so i think when your body's kind of clean and when you start experiment like having a conversation with your body you know and then you'll start feeling you know a certain food will do well you know for you and certain food doesn't um, even like some um, a herb called rhodiola, I love this herb. Well, you know, but it never does good for me. Like I always feel a bit sick after. I think just you know you can do all the research and all that stuff, but if you're not if you're not in tune with your body, because you're you're the best doctor really for your own body. You've lived in this body for like how many how many years? So don't trust everything that you read about. Just be you know, be open-minded and, yeah, have a nice talk with your body. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is something I'm learning today mm. from, the, um, from the conversation. 
um, yeah, we often look to others or other pieces mm. of information to dictate what we're going to put in our body. Mm. But I think I'm learning more that we are the best, uh, you know, the best doctor or the uh, the best person to speak to is ourself. Yeah. To see what is actually working for us or not working for us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, being intuitive is amazing too, but also... Uh, for me like I got my genes tested a while back and it was like you know game changer so if people have the money and have you know an effort or I don't know the means to do so I think it's you know it changes the way you look at food so what did you gain from that yeah the gene testing yeah that was uh, so one um, I had the fat genes <laughs> so I have to be careful like how much food I consume but clearly I'm not obese so you know that kind of shows that what like your lifestyle is the most important thing that genes doesn't really, really dictate how you know how you have to live I mean like what you look like or yep. what sort of but anyways one thing that was interesting another thing that I was really interesting was that um, I, my body doesn't convert omega-3 to DHA and EPA well. You know, like we talk about, you know, DHA and stuff in vegan community and we say, oh, no, we can have flaxseed and we can have hemp seed and stuff, you know, omega-3 and body will convert to DHA and EPA. But my body, it doesn't do well. You know, so I think that that comes from the like Japanese backgrounds because we used to eat fish all the time, so we had no reason really to convert omega three to DHA. So now I used to take it too, but now like I make sure that I take algae based DHA and EPA just to kind of get that covered, and also I've got genes that doesn't do well with saturated fat so even though this ketogenic diet is like so popular for me it doesn't do well like it will lead me to you know high blood pressure and heart attack and stuff like that so you know I don't even I don't avoid it but I don't do too much of the coconut oil and you know things like that so I'll stick to you know hemp seed omega-3 or you know polysaturated or monosaturated is better avocado and oil, um, um, olive oil and you know things like that so you know things like that if you know um, yeah you can kind of tweak your diet a little bit more and also I'm more um, inclined to um, to become more um, inflammatory so that means that you don't want to eat too much meat you don't want to eat too much protein um, and like more carbohydrates for me okay. and which is quite fascinating too I mean coming from Japanese you know and then they ate all the carbohydrates of you know rice <laughs> rice right. rice rice um, and these days they're like oh carbohydrate is like enemy of you know all that mm -hmm. stuff and it's like it just all depends on how how your body is yeah that's really interesting I think referring to the keto that is an interesting kind of phenomenon phenomenon the, mm. the keto diet mm. I have been following um, updates from other doctors around the world other people studying nutrition mm. and it doesn't seem that the keto diet is really beneficial long term for anyone yeah. so um yeah, yeah i think short term it might kind of give you that you know weight loss or something that you're looking for yep but i think what you need to do what you need to find is a diet that's sustainable for you right 
that you know that you can live with, live with for a long time and you just have to tweak as you go but yeah just living on i don't know fat is not fun <laughs> I don't yeah think. i don't think yeah <laughs> i'm not gonna try it myself <laughs> um two things that you just alluded to before were a water fast mm. and then medicinal mushrooms so they're two things i definitely want to get into with you today mm. um which one would you like to tackle first well, let's do water fast. Okay, cool. <laughs> so you just did a five-day water fast. Uh, I think it was about two months ago. Yeah, okay. in the middle of the summer. That's the best way to do it. All right. Yes. So what are the benefits of something like a, a five-day water fast? Um, and yeah, how, how was your experience with it? Yeah, um, I think I did a podcast on water fast, on my, on my podcast anyways, but... Um, the reason I wanted to do it was so that, um, I can't remember the name of the doctor, something, I'll, I'll maybe send you a link mm -hmm. anyway and people can have a look. But um, there's a study showing that, you know, once you get to a certain days of fasting period, you start um, getting, like, removing all the damaged cells and damaged, um, um, I suppose, cell I suppose cells in the body and you start producing uh, newer healthier cells so you know like as a baby like you you know your kidneys growing your cells just growing healthily and, the, and like fasting is the only 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 way to imitate this like new healthier cell growth um, I found I definitely recommend doing it in in the summer or like when it's warm because um, you do get a bit cold and you need to have maybe more like a relaxed lifestyle like if you're really busy if you're working probably doesn't work too well for you um yeah but um i felt amazing after definitely it was quite hard but it was more emotionally hard because, you know, I love food. I love planning, you know, what to eat <laughs> and stuff. It's like, what else am I going to do? You know, I've got so much time now. <laughs> yeah, but it was an amazing experience. Were the, were the initial days harder than, the, you know, say, say day one, two and three? Were they harder than day four and five? Mm -hmm. And what kind of feelings did you did you experience yeah so first day was hard i think a second day i think you just become a bit more like ketogenic mm -hmm. you start you know uh, creating energy from your fat so you don't really feel too hungry second and third day and then fourth day you just start feeling like i mean for me like personally i didn't have much energy really fourth day and fifth day but I was working I was doing yoga I was kind of doing everything that I normally was doing so if I kind of slowed down a bit maybe it would have been a bit easier but yeah yeah but I mean I was constantly thinking about food <laughs> really but you have this amazing sleep like on mm. the second day uh, I had like the best sleep ever and then you start not sleeping <laughs> at all okay yeah but it's just it's an emotional thing too mm -hmm. like how how much can you detach from you know something like food that you eat every day you know um yeah that was a good experience so now i probably do like 24 hour fast once a week and i think uh, a couple of days ago i did two days like 46 hours something like that so i kind of you know kind of play a little bit but not as strict as like five day 
Cool. So were there any, you know, going back two months, was there any, I suppose, big reason you wanted to try it or was it just to, to experiment? Yeah, just like for health reasons mm-hmm. and then like how like just realising how emotionally attached to foods we all are, yep. you know. Yeah, but I went to a uh, meditation gathering on the third day or something like that. It was amazing, actually. I think when, it just sounds so woo-woo, but I'm, I'm not always like this. I'm all ears, I'm yeah. all ears, yeah. Yeah, but I think when, you're, like, when your body is so clean and clear and you just like, you're, you're so like ready to like open up and, you know, welcome other ideas and different vibrations and light, like lights and like, you get a bit more sensitive, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I can see that. You, your brain isn't so focused because you've given yourself this, I suppose, goal mm. or time frame mm. where you're not going to eat. Mm. I haven't really done one myself. I've probably experimented with like, you know, a larger intermittent mm-hmm. fast. Yeah. So maybe I've gone, you know, close to a day mm. just to experiment. Um, but because you've given yourself that kind of goal, you you do think about food, but you're not thinking about having to create a dish mm. or to create a meal and your focus is able to go other places. Yeah, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. And for me, um, juice cleanse for me is harder because you still have to like touch food and stuff. <laughs> it's like, oh, I just want to pick it up and eat it. Yeah, so yep. like the urge was like less because I'm not just touching food. I'm not like, you know, I'm not making anything. Yeah. Cool. And then medici- medicinal mushrooms. mushrooms. So how did you get into medicinal mushrooms? Yeah, so that was like I was doing all the research for myself, you know, when I was going through that health, um, health challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, in medicinal mushrooms, I mean, it's it's like a traditional thing in Japan as well. So my grand grandfather is a, a was was a nutritionist, and he was like a health nerd. Really, he was always like making this like crazy mix and you know stuff like that. So I knew about medicinal mushrooms and other you know other tonics and you know things like that. Anyways, um, yeah, um, I just suppose started taking them, and as I felt felt great mm, yeah and i love them cool so what are some of the the mushrooms that you use regular regularly or yeah. what are you know some of the other ones that we might have not heard of that exist yeah so i'll just i'll give you four top medicinal mushrooms mm-hmm. and that depends on what you want i suppose um in your life and you can kind of pick and choose reishi is my favorite and reishi um is more kind of grounding calming um and it, all the medicinal mushroom is great for immunity but reishi is more for like spirituality you know i, I love that about reishi um, and shaga is really um, famous for antioxidants, special antioxidant called SOD. Um, it's anti-aging. It has a, like a melanin as well, so it works on your skin and glow. Um, yeah, anti-inflammatory. 
um, in the sugar kind of tastes like coffee. So if people are kind of trying to cut down the coffee, maybe you can kind of decrease like to like half kind of coffee and have a bit of sugar as well. And the good thing about reishi is that even if you add it to the coffee, because coffee is quite like stimulating, yeah? So if you have a bit of reishi, it kind of brings it down a little bit. So it doesn't kind of spike up and it kind of brings it down. So you can have this kind of nice kind of high for uh, you know a longer time. Another one is cordyceps. Cordyceps is pretty fascinating. Um, cordyceps is actually uh, like a virus, like fungi, that um, parasite, I suppose. So if you get a wild cordyceps, it actually takes over an insect and sprouts itself from the, uh, from the insect. So if you like Google wild cordyceps, some images is like crazy. And what they do is the, this fungi will kind of um, tell this insect to go up the mountain, like, like manipulate the insects to like go, go for a walk and go up the mountain, <laughs> and then so that they can like spread their spores like from the higher up. So that's pretty amazing. Hmm. The cordyceps is um, amazing for people who do a lot of workout, um, athletes, so they, um, they're known to open up your lungs so they can breathe more oxygen and known to help you recover from the workout better. Another one is lion's mane, and lion's mane has been quite popular as well. So if you use a lot of brain, if you're a student, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a business owner, if you, so lion's mane is known to um, increase focus, concentration, and helps you with like long and short-term memory. So okay. you know, whatever you fancy, but reishi is my favorite. But you can also like blend all these like mushrooms and take it together as well. No, that yeah. sounds super interesting. The cordyceps is yeah. amazing. Yeah. Is that like some kind of... So it's not vegan, <laughs> for sure. No. <laughs> I yeah. suppose, no, that, that is interesting. Um, I mean, that's what you, like, you know, people are kind of finding out about bacteria and fungus and stuff like that. Things in your stomach, you know, they say, like, if you've got this craving or something, you know, sometimes it's not actually you wanting, you know, wanting certain food. It's that bacteria that like wants it <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. so w- with the cordyceps the mushroom or the, the cordyceps itself mm. penetrates the like the any insect yeah an insect and the insect is still alive yeah and walk to like top of the mountain <laughs> and then the the cordyceps will go through yeah, and the sprout, insect, yeah, and sprout out 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 of the insect. Yeah, the spores. Yeah, and then they take over, so insects will die, I suppose, in the end, and then the cold step will just keep going. <laughs> Mind blown. Yeah, yeah, but that's fascinating. Usually, so those wild cordyceps really expensive. So if you mm-hmm. do get cordyceps powder or you know like extract that we sell, they are grown in the lab, so they're not like. You know, they're not from insects, really. Cool. Yeah. I was going to say, what is the best way about, I suppose, getting these into, you know, our homes? Yeah. Okay, so I think the easiest way is to get an extract powder. So you can have tea or you can make it into coffee. You can put into, like, smoothies. You can make it into dessert, bliss balls. You know, any way that you take is fine. Um, my favorite way is just make tea. 
you know yeah. just to have it on an empty stomach and that's how you kind of feel the magic of the mus mushrooms um but also you can get whole mushrooms if you're if you're lucky um in australia i think it's a bit hard the regulation is a bit strict mm -hmm. but you know if you're in america and other places i think you can get them um and then but those whole mushrooms you can't just eat them so you have to extract it in some you know some ways you can do you can make tea by like boiling the tea uh, boiling the mushrooms for maybe three four five hours or so or you can do uh, a tincture you know just using uh, alcohol to extract the compounds but what you're going to have to look out for if you're getting the product like the extract powder make sure that they are double or dual extracted so that means you're getting the water soluble and alcohol soluble uh, sorry fat soluble um, beneficial compounds got you is there anything when consuming these is there any other foods that help the bioavailability of the medicinal mushrooms not really. Nope. Yeah, it's just like, I mean, medicinal mushroom is the food, mm -hmm. really. So, and I believe that the best way to do it is to have it on its own. Okay. Yeah, so, but you know, if, if you've got food and stuff like that, it does like, um, it's like a barrier, I suppose. So, but for the first time, I do recommend people to have it with food just in case, because mm -hmm. it might just be a bit too, you know, too strong for them. Um, I remember Reishi, like all these medicinal mushrooms, pretty safe for most people. Um, but a friend of mine had this um, the Reishi for the first time, an empty stomach, and you know, feel quite sick. Okay. And you start like your heart start pumping and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So it wasn't the magic mushroom at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Reishi. Yeah. But yeah, you want to kind of start small and maybe have food to start with and see how your body goes. Very interesting. On the topic of tea. Um, is it technically raw or no? Because of the boiling point? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm not that strict of right. the, like raw food. Uh -huh. I still, I think it's it's different because tea you want to extract all the beneficial compounds, mm -hmm. and you can't you can't just eat it and then you know expect the body to you know break down all these like nutrients. So I do do that, but something like gynostema, something like you know, uh, chamomile or lavender or something like that. You can even do um, a thing called sun tea. It's you just put uh, water, like cold water and, or, you know, room temperature water and herb, usually like flower tea or leaf tea, and then put it under the sun, you know, especially in the summer, like overnight or, uh, you know, like for a long time. And then it even absorbs the energy of the sun and then, you know, infuse a person to water. So that's a kind of nice way to have raw raw tea, but I'm not too, like, fussed about that sort of stuff, yeah. Cool. And with food, is there any kind of temperatures that you stick to personally? Uh, with food, so raw food is about, you know, between 42 and 46. Mm -hmm. I kind of stick to that, that temperature. But, you know, when I go out or when a friend cooks me dinner, then I don't, you know, I don't want to be one of those people <laughs> say, hey, is this organic? Like, is this, like, raw? You know, I think the food is meant to be shared and just, you know, be grateful for what you have. Yeah. You don't rock up to your friend's house <laughs> with, like, a temperature <laughs> gauge and stick it in the food. That's Yeah, yeah. No, no that's <laughs> good, done to, that yet. <laughs> good to hear. That'd be an interesting uh, kind of thing to do. So also something I wanted to touch on um, 
is you know coming to a new country mm. starting a business as a as a single mom you know english is not your first language how's that been how's the experience of opening a business here been and yeah what would what advice would you give to you know another person that might be following your footsteps yeah no one asked me that before <laughs> so, um Melbourne is amazing, you know. I think people are just so open and like so used to seeing people who don't look like them to be, you know, successful or whatever and they support you 100% as long as, you know, they're doing something that align, you know, align them. So I think I've been really lucky that way. Um, but I think, grow like... You know, living in New Zealand, I think that was like the hardest time because, you know, I couldn't speak English and that like 20, 25 years ago, um, there was like a bit of like, like your racism kind of thing. So, you know, even when you're like walking down the road, like um, some I think I remember called out and say, go back to where you come from or, you know, something like that. And that kind of stays, you know, stays with you for a long time. Even though that's like wrong things to say, that's not right, but that's always with you. So when I get this support or when I got this support, I just didn't like, didn't welcome it 100%. Like it's like... Am I am I good enough? Like, am I you know, like, am I worth that? This or like, am I doing this right? I think that actually that insecurity it actually came from the time that I spent in New Zealand. That, okay. You know, feeling a bit you know, left out or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, from living in Melbourne, it, you know, it's uh, a multicultural city. Mm lots of different cuisines lots of different people from all over the world live here mm. and you're right it is growing up it's completely um at least in my experience normal and we're mm. all accepting of of people no matter where they're from or mm. uh you know, really what they what they believe mm. so uh it's definitely a a, a really amazing place yeah. to uh, to open a business and to have people kind of welcome you uh, with open arms mm. what about people that you know what would if you were talking to you know younger yoko <laughs> what advice you know what you know now what advice would you would you give yourself or someone else that's starting a, a business yeah well uh i would probably tell myself that it's gonna be okay yeah. <laughs> like, it's gonna be fine um but um the people who are just starting out just just do it like mm -hmm. i know we some of us want to be like to do, do everything like perfectly and kind of organize and you know i will do this when i will do this if you know and it, it will never come but there's no perfect time to do things um even if you don't have that qualification that you you're you know you're studying for just start start somewhere i think starting and just like having a support system around like finding a community is so much easier now you know on instagram or even social media there's so many places that you can reach out so and we are all here like we've gone through it and there's so many people who can help you so to start reach out write that email you know just go and do it 
Get into that person's Instagram direct yeah, messages. Yeah, direct message. Yeah. Ask them to do a podcast episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I agree. Exactly. I agree. You've just got to. Yeah, doing is a lot more productive than mm. stressing about, about it. it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I've been in both kind of situations, so mm. I can understand the the stresses. But I don't know if you agree, but like when you do take the the leap to to ask or to reach out or to mm. start, it takes a weight off your shoulders. Mm. The stress of the stress and the worrying of beginning just goes away. Yeah. And you start to focus more on, mm. okay, what can I now do to keep moving forward? Yeah. And more you do it, like, it better it gets, easier it gets. Because you know, you realise that people are not that nasty. They are like, you know, they're there to help you. And if they don't, that's okay. You just move on. Definitely. That's fine. Something we haven't really touched on is uh, what you guys offer here oh. at Shoka Iku. <laughs> We're in this yeah. amazing space. It's beautiful, beautiful location. Mm. Um, and I've seen on Instagram some absolutely amazing looking uh, desserts. I'm going to get you some cakes after. <laughs> Everything looks beautiful. Mm. But I'd like to know, I understand that it's, it's more than just food. Yeah. So what do, you, what do you guys offer here? Yeah, so food-wise, uh, it's organic, plant-based, raw, vegan, um, gluten-free, refined, sugar-free, um, all that stuff. Um, and we, I, you know, also believe in, you know, tonic herbs and, you know, superfoods and stuff like that. So we infuse, um, like, the knowledge of, like, traditional Eastern um, way of doing things and Western, like, nutrition, like, enzymes and all this kind of together and, I suppose, offering something unusual, healthy and um, wholesome. And that was the place that, you know, I wish I had when I was on this, like, health journey. But there was no places like this, you know. And, and I, there's a place that you could just take, you know, take your daughter and you don't have to, like, pick what she can have. Mm-hmm. And I remember this is, like, one uh, really amazing memory that I have is that this customer used to come in, like, older, mature lady, and she used to tell me about her daughter. She, I think, had a uh, like eating disorder. And she was like, she always said, oh, I wish my daughter would come to a place like this. And one day the daughter came and you, know, you could tell that she wasn't well. And even just like choosing like a smoothie for her was a struggle. And she had a smoothie and she drank maybe half of it. But, you know, that's, that's amazing. And um, the mother came up in pay and, and the daughter was there too. And the daughter told me oh my, that was a really good smoothie, you know. And then I saw the, mo- like the face, the, the mother's face, this, like, this like, huge smile that, you know, I would like, never forget. That's like, like real chill. <laughs> like chill morning. Yeah. yeah. No, that mm. is cool. I mean, yeah, stories like that are... They're amazing to hear, mm. but then you can also understand like what drives you to keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, I mean it's not it's not easy. Like yep. everyone you talk to, like the hospitality business is hard, and especially you know we use organic ingredients, so like three, four, five times more expensive, and you know everything we do it, you know, and raw foods takes a long time, effort, like soaking and all that stuff, but. 
you know, you have to have your reason. And if you're thinking about starting a business, like make sure that's something that you totally believe in. Otherwise, it's just too hard, you know, or there's other things that you have to deal with. But if you've got something that, if you've got that why, that's, you know, then you can keep going. For sure, for mm. sure. Have you had the opportunity to go back to Japan? Yeah, last time it was about three years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have to go back soon because I've got an exam for the Kampo, um, the uh, traditional Japanese medicine exam is going to be in August, so I'll probably go back then. Cool, and you actually sit that exam. Yeah. Is yeah. it is on campus? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I'm stressed about that actually. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Now, for someone that is interested in trying a raw foods diet mm. what what are some of the i suppose the best resources that they can go to um for for education because it sounds like educating yourself is an important um component of mm. taking on um you know it doesn't matter if it's a whole food plant-based diet if it's a raw mm. food plant-based diet education is an important component yeah, is there any tips that you personally have or any, any resources you would point mm. out? I think um, best way for me to include raw food is to do juicing because it's got enzymes and you can get a lot of nutrients in one go and it's easier on digestion. So juice maybe in blending is like the first thing that I would probably recommend. And then you just start experimenting with like different dressings. I think dressing is a huge thing for raw food because if you've got a really good dressing, any like vegetable just tastes amazing anyways. And then when you start um, kind of wanting to get into raw food more we've got an online course and the people can learn raw food so yep. come and talk to us Absolutely. um yeah but just just have fun with it really yeah cool and where can we find you that's the most important uh, part <laughs> uh, so we've got a website um shokuikuaustralia.com and instagram shokuiku facebook shokuiku yeah awesome yeah. and that's where you can find you know, workshops or um, everything about the restaurant. Yeah, yep. yeah. So um, online, you can actually purchase our products as well. I mean, just no mushrooms, tonic herbs, other superfoods, and we do have a lot of like educational pieces too. And we've got recipe books. Um, um, yeah, other um, tonic you know, about like a, a new uh, the ebook about superfoods and you know things like that too. And I do post a lot of free recipes on the blog too. So if you want to check out on um, on the website, and they can. Beautiful. Yeah. And you've got your own podcast. I do. I'm not as um, regular as <laughs> you are, um, but yeah, we're on this foodie. What was it? Yeah, we're on this foodie <laughs> podcast. So my one is usually like I pick a herb. I mean, we just talk about a benefit and how to use it and things like that. So if people are into like medicinal mushrooms, I've done a series of medicinal mushroom podcasts. It's only like five or six minutes. So yeah, I'll do that. And I'm doing uh, spirulina and corolla kind of green kind of po- um, episode as well. Beautiful. Mm. Well... I think it's a really good place to wrap it up. I've really enjoyed today's conversation. You're an amazing woman and thank you for your time as you are extremely busy. So 
yeah, thanks so much, Yoko. Yeah, thank you so really much. Really nice for to meet me. you. Yeah. And um, yeah, can't wait to to come back and try some more teas and, and desserts. It's going to be, um, yeah, a really good place for us to come back to. Great. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Cheers, Yoko. Yay. Hello. Thanks again for tuning in to the podcast today. I absolutely love sharing conversations with you that I've had from around the world. From a personal perspective, I've learned something from each and every one of my guests so far, and I sincerely hope you've enjoyed the episodes that I've recorded for you. Today, for me, this one ranks really highly. This was the first time I'd met Yoko, and there were many parts of her story I did not know in depth. Throughout the chat, Yoko was willing to share more than she usually would in an interview, and I'm so grateful that she felt this was a safe platform to do so. For this, I thank her, as I know it wasn't an easy thing to do. Her life has been truly amazing. Yoko has shown so much strength throughout, and no matter what has faced her, she continued to follow her truth and passions. I learned a lot and hope you did too. If you'd like to find Yoko and the restaurant Shoku Iku online, please head to shokuikuaustralia.com where you can find workshops, classes, community events, the shop and more about her and the cafe. Next week, I have a conversation you cannot miss with head chef of the world-renowned vegan restaurant Smith & Daughters, Shannon Martinez. I will give you all a heads up This is my first guest who is openly not vegan. Don't let this throw you though. She is an incredible chef and contrary to some people's belief, is fighting hard for veganism. Can't wait to share the episode with you guys. Until then, keep eating the plants and enjoy your week. Cheers guys.